Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. So this morning, we're beginning with our first character. There in verse 4, this morning we're beginning our series with Abel. Abel. And this is the title of the message and, and, and the exploit of faith that, that is uh, categorized here for Abel. What we're going to look at with Abel today is the fact that Abel worshipped God excellently by faith. He worshipped God excellently by faith. And each week we'll have a different character and kind of focus on what they did by faith. This morning, Abel, he worshipped God excellently. We get that here in verse 4. It says in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, though and and through it he being dead still speaks. So by faith, what did Abel do? How does he inspire us to live by faith? He worshiped excellently. He offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, we can't read this, assuming that we all know the context. So now Genesis 4. Let's look at Genesis 4. Um, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the book of origins, the, the beginning and the origin of all things, um, all things including the physical universe, but also the origin of family, the origin of government, the origin of sin, the origin of family. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Uh, unfortunately, Chapter 4 is where things in world history had, have taken a pretty negative turn, to say the least. So this is post-fall, uh, post-man breaking our partnership of trust with God, called to partner with him for the, 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 his own glory and for the, the flourishing of humanity and the good of our neighbor. And instead of partnering with God, God trusts us with his new creation, and we can't even trust him with some instructions. This is the story of, of all of us in some ways. And man turns away from God. The whole system is broken. And what you have here is you have the first firstborn and the first secondborn. Okay, how many firstborns in the room? Don't worry, I'm not going to call you Cain. It's okay, all right? How many secondborns in the room? Me too, let's go. How many of those secondborns are middle childs, middle children? Okay, we're going to be having a special group after the service. We're going to circle up and divulge all of our issues. Okay. Let's read it, okay? Here, here's what Hebrews 11, when it talks about Abel's worship being better than his brother's, which is just, that's his exploit of faith. He was a better Christian than his brother. All right? Here is what it says. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Now, this is, uh, you can go back for a second, Mike. This isn't just her recognizing his gender or such. Uh, in the Hebrew, this is actually her... Um, uh, welling up with excitement about the fact that this could be the promised Messiah that I was just promised about, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. Uh, so the, it's called the Proto-Evangelion. Proto Don't worry about writing that down. It's okay. It, it, it was the first prophecy of despite humans making everything wrong, God in his grace is always faithful to make things right. Despite what we break, he's able to fix it and redeem it. And so God promised a redeemer. And so the, the language here speaks of her going, could this be the one? I mean, this is the firstborn, you know, human ever. 
And so she, she's excited about that. Um, so in case you're wondering, Cain was not the Messiah. Okay, not quite, you know. Jesus and Cain have a lot of uh, differences, we'll, we'll say that. Um, but that's what she thinks about her firstborn. Now, maybe she's disappointed because this word means, uh, this, the word for Cain literally means like a, uh, here he is, is what it means. The word Cain means here he is. So she kind of expresses that. And then, however long after, she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. And this word means misery. It's like, what shall you call your child? Oh, my second one? We'll just name him Misery. It's like, wow, you really are trying to speak destiny over their lives there. Now, some say this is like her sadness, like her disappointment with Cain. The second one came along. She's like, he's not going to be the Messiah. We'll just name you Misery. Okay? Anyway. Now, Abel, now notice the differences, these two guys. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a sheep herder for clothing and such. But Cain was a farmer, a tiller of the ground. Now, notice this. Here's the worship service. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. We're going to be coming back to these verses. And the Lord respected Abel or accepted Abel and his offering. The Lord accepted his worship. But he did not respect or accept Cain and his offering. I think it's interesting that God both accepts the person or rejects the person and their offering. It says, And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He was upset about this. So the Lord said to him, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Why are you so upset? And then God says to him, If you do well, so there's this idea that Cain knows the right thing to do and he's not doing it. He knows what acceptable worship is, yet he's not offering it. The Lord says, why, why are you upset? You know that if you do well with your offering, you'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, notice this. He's in this, this really vulnerable place of disappointment with himself and God. Really dangerous place. I would, I would say a really vulnerable place to be in. It's okay to be honest. But notice what God says. He says, sin lies at, at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And this is a whole other sermon about the nature of sin. But God essentially describes sin as like this crouching, seemingly harmless beast that's just kind of crouching out the door, waiting to pounce on you and devour you. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must not allow that seemingly small beast to devour you. That, that's really how sin, you know, the Bible describes sin um, as, as this, in this way, as this monster or this beast that that can often be, I guess, underestimated and, and, and can actually quickly evolve. So you read James 1, it talks about how sin can grow and conceive and just take on worse forms. And, and I mean, like we all know this because we're sinners. You know what I'm saying? Like teaching on sin is not a hard one. You're just kind of like, hey, look at your life, you know. But I, I, I've definitely found this to be true, that there's, there's sins that sometimes if we just kind of keep it as a pet, like this little, we don't realize that thing can grow really fast and become a monster that will devour you very subtly. And maybe in your life, you can kind of think about, man, what, what are like the monster sins in my life that are devouring my spiritual life? And maybe there's like something else that you're like, oh, that's not a monster. It's just something crouching at the door. But before you know it, 
It wants to rule over you. It wants to devour you. And so it just it really interesting language here to describe the nature of sin um, and the call that we have by the power of the Spirit to rule over it. Uh, this is extra, extra credit here, okay? Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So you imagine Cain is frustrated. God, re- God accepts Abel's offering. God rejects Cain's offering. And, and, and Cain is now in this disappointed, spiritually frustrated, angry state. God notices that, and he points out the fact that he's vulnerable towards temptation and sin, and there's little, little compromises that could go a long way and, and devour him. There's little cracks that could become crevices that he can fall into. And so here's what we have with Cain. You know, Cain comes to talk with his brother, and, you know, if you didn't have the rest of it, you might be hoping he's going to make amends, he's trying to make peace, he, maybe he's going to ask him for a lamb, hey, I want to, you know, whatever it is. But this is, a, this is kind of a sneaky, he's coming to talk to him, he's got other motives. He wants to do more than talk. You know, he wants to commit violence, you know. So it came to pass, notice this, when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. These are the first brothers in history, and one kills the other out of his frustration and bitterness. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, Imagine, the, look at the sassiness in Cain here. Speaking to the Lord of all people. You know, you could see he's like extra defensive, you know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper, God of the universe, who could smite me in a moment, right? He's all sassy because he's defensive because he's guilty. And he said, God, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I want you to mark that. We're going to come back to that. And so now God says, so now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now for you young people, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like a vagabond. Is that a, that's not a good thing. Okay. It's not like wanderlust, you know, it's not. Okay. New Instagram bio, vagabonds in Florida. You know, it's not a good thing. The idea there is he's going to be cast and driven away into a, a cursed life, a lonely cursed life. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth, and people are going to be bloodthirsty for him. Cain says, my, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond of the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me, they're going to avenge my brother and they're going to kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So this is nice. You got like God's witness protection pro- program for Cain here. And he's like, if, you, if anybody does this, they're going to get it seven times worse. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So, Lord, this is an ancient story, something that's so hard for us maybe to, to really resonate with. Um, there's maybe a lot of questions, even about what's going on here culturally, and, and God even some of the, the things that are missing. And so r- right now, as we just commit to you our, 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 our moment together here this morning, that we, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be here. And Lord, we, we just, by faith, we trust that, that because we're here for you, that you have a plan to use this ancient story to change our lives this morning in a way that only you know. And so, God, I, 
I pray that you could get me out of the way so that that's really what happens here, that this is a time for us to meet with you and encounter you and hear from you. And we pray, Jesus, that through these examples we're studying, that you would help us grow in faith, especially in terms of how we worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the question in light of some of the things we just read, I want you to think about your own life. Let's kind of get off of this story. We'll come back to it. Uh, this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what rivalry are you most invested in? Is there a rivalry you're, you're, you're invested in? I don't know. Maybe you look at, at sports, you know, a lot of, obviously, college is back. I think today is the first, like, official football Sunday. Am I right about that? I think so. Yeah, a couple head nods. Um, they must be from the land of Nod over there, nodding at me again. What? Don't say that again. Um, but, uh, you know, great sports rivalries in history, you know, whether it's football or college football or basketball was kind of the one I honed in on. You have Lakers and Celtics, and in college football, you have Ohio State and Michigan. I know the Offerdahl brothers here are big Ohio State fans. Um, oh, wait, Michigan, sorry. Red Sox and Yankees, you know, that's a, the big kind of baseball world. Um, even in music, there's, there's big music rivalries. It's interesting. Growing up, I remember there's a big rivalry between Nirvana and Pearl Jam fans. It's like, which, are you Eddie Vedder or are you Kurt Cobain? Um, today, the modern version is Drake or Kanye, and I'm going to say it's Kanye, without a doubt, all right? Certified loser boy, all right? Um... <laughs> You know, for me growing up, the biggest rivalry that I was invested in was a rivalry between skateboarders and rollerbladers. I won't ask you to raise your hand and tell us if you're a rollerblader, okay? Don't worry. Um, but, you know, growing up at the skate park, like, that was the rivalry. Uh, there was a couple different versions of this. You know, I feel bad now because I'm a dad of a little kid that goes to the skate park. But, like, little kid rollerbladers were, were the worst, too. I would, like, try to even, like, ollie over them if they were in the way, you know, and that didn't work out. But, you know, you, you know bikers would be at the skate park, and as a skateboarder, you just want to do your trick, and it's just, like, I-95 traffic everywhere. I broke my arm as a young kid going down a, a big ramp at the Ramp 48 in West Palm because a rollerblader was coming by, and he had a motocross helmet on. And so I just chucked into him, and my arm snapped in half. It was awesome. And... Um, you know, and, and as time has gone on, I take my son to the, the skate park, and, you know, that's a, if you've been to an indoor skate park lately, a modern war zone, okay? Now it's not rollerbladers, it's scooters. It's razor scooters. Those things, they're metal, they fly, they'll kill you. And so, uh, you know, as a kid, there was always this, like, unspoken rivalry at the skate park between the different disciplines, you know, and different hobbies. Um, it, it's interesting to me that the first example of faith we have in Hebrews, and really the first narrative of, of family in life in Scripture, it involves a rivalry. Worst of all, a sibling rivalry. What's interesting about this rivalry, uh, which, interesting, the definition of a rivalry, I, I looked this up, it's the state of two people or groups engaging in a competitive relationship, an ongoing competitive relationship. But what's interesting about this narrative and this rivalry is it's really a one-sided rivalry. Cain wasn't so much, or rather Abel wasn't so much competing against Cain. He was worshiping the Lord, but there's something in the heart of Cain that was in competition that was in frustration, that was positioned in rivalry against his brother. The story opens with a rivalry. Now, 
the context of it is really interesting what we read. In Genesis 4, that whole passage we read there, um, and I'll pull it up again. It's Genesis 4, 3 through 5. What you have here, where this rivalry comes from, that ends in Abel's murder by his brother Cain, is you have the first ever worship service in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? This is the first ever worship service. Now, it's not the first time anyone has worshipped or anything has worshipped, because actually the Bible teaches that all of creation worships God. And so God created all things. Really, the only, uh, the only created thing that has a worship problem is humanity. We've always been the ones that have kicked against the, the created order of things to worship God. All of creation is worshiping God. But now humans are called. We get, we get to worship God in a special way that's unlike any other being, whether angelic or natural. Humans, we worship God out of decisiveness of the will in response to his glory. It's so unique to humanity. It's why we're called to worship. It's where we're actually, we're most fulfilled. We were created for it. And you have the first ever worship service. That seems to be the idea here. We have a time that it takes place at. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that they come to worship. Cain and Abel, sons of the first parents, Adam and Eve, they have some appointed framework for a worship service. Now, we don't know when this is or how often it is. It's some appointed time, whether it's once a year, once a month. We don't know exactly, but there's a, there's a time. There's a start time to this worship service. Uh, there's also a place. I mean, clearly, they were in a place, worshiping in a place, right? So it says that they brought their offering to the Lord. This, this is so unique. The first worship service. Both brothers, at this point, they have everything in common. They're both born to the same parents. They're both fallen because of their sin. They both show up at the same time. They both show up in the same place with the same objective to worship. But I want you to notice, in this passage we read, God only accepts one of their worship. Abel's worship is accepted. Cain's worship is rejected. And as we read out of this, Cain murders Abel out of bitter jealousy and anger. Now, now here's, again, our, our key verse in Hebrews 11. Here's what it says about this moment. It says, in this moment, Abel offered to God, at this worship service, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain's is rejected, Abel's is accepted because Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. I mean, there's a, a key principle here. The principle here is that not all worship is created equal. Showing up at the right time in the right place doesn't mean that God is accepting our worship. This is interesting. Uh, to one brother, worship is acceptable. It's called more excellent. It's better. And to another, it's completely Rejected. Here's the question that we want to be able to ask and answer. Uh, the question is, why was Abel's worship more excellent than Cain's? Like, wh what is the thing about Cain? That, like, does God like, just want to pick on Cain? Poor guy, right? Like, he's just trying to do his best. I mean, what is going on here? What, what's the true story of why one person's worship was by faith and accepted, and why was the other's rejected? And let me give you... The reasons why, obviously, the goal in this is that we want to grow in being those who offer, by faith, acceptable worship to God. 
We, we want God to be pleased with the worship that we bring to him. And notice the word I'm using for their sacrifice. It's worship. I mean, certainly we can worship God with a song, but worship is ultimately what we serve and sacrifice unto the glory of God. So, so why was Abel's more excellent than Cain? Let me give you a couple reasons. The first was because of the system of Abel's worship. The system of Abel's worship was more excellent than the system of Cain's worship. The system of Abel's worship, according to Hebrews 11, was faith. Abel comes to God under a faith system, specifically a faith in the goodness, the love, and the provision of God. And this is one of the main things that the author of Hebrews is trying to point out. That Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice to God by faith through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. This is... um, this is like one of the main points and themes of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Paul, or whoever's writing it, Paul, I said last week, is code for whoever the heck the author is. But um, the author of this book, he's calling some Jewish Christians who kind of have one foot into faith in the gospel and one foot out. He's calling them to come all the way into faith to leave behind their works-based system, this sort of system that connects them to God on the basis of their behavior and their rule-keeping. Like, I've kept the rules this week. I'm on God's good side. Oh, no, I, I've, I've broken the laws this week. I've broken the rules. I'm now on his bad side. And it's this kind of, like, endless game of cat and mouse where, where we're trying to keep ourselves in the favor of God by being good enough, by measuring up. And, and the hard part with that is you never arrive in that, do you? Like, you're, you're never, you can never actually be secure in God's love because there's always more that you can do in that system, Right? There's always more of your Bible to read, more holiness to achieve, less sin to commit. And so you're just kind of stuck in this system of works-based righteousness. You're stuck in in this this mindset that, that you are only as loved by God as you are performing. And the contrast here, I love this, of Abel is that Abel comes to God not according to his works, but he comes by faith. Not his works, but his faith. And it's through his faith, notice this, that he was righteous. He was called righteous. This is going to be a constant theme in Hebrews, whether it's Abraham or Abel here, that we are made righteous, not by what we do, but by our faith in what God has done, in what Jesus has done. Again, this is one of the main themes. In fact, the the phrase here, more excellent, is used over and over in this book to describe the way of Jesus over against the way of religion and works. The theme of Hebrews is that Jesus has come to bring a more excellent way of relating to God than whatever it is we've been stuck in. Have you been stuck in a way of relating to God that's based on you, that's based on your performance, that's based on your works? Well, there's a more excellent way that Jesus has paved through going to the cross, through being the sacrificial lamb, through being our atonement, through being our forgiveness, through being sin on our behalf, so that through our faith in him, we can become righteousness. So, so there's two different systems at play here. In fact, uh, there's a lot of debate about this. I can't tell you how many different commentaries I had um, that, that kind of nailed this down. The reason why there's so many perspectives about Cain, the story of Cain and Abel is there's really just so little content about them. 
like for whatever content there is, it, it's like as I was reading it, I, I was like with my Bible studying it, I, I was doing that thing with like the fridge where you open it and there's no food in it. And you close it, but you come back 10 seconds later, like maybe I didn't see something. Like I did that in this story for a whole week, like hoping that I'd open it up and there'd be like something new in there. And, and there really is just a limited amount of, infor- and I'm speaking informationally in regards to, to what's going on here. There's not a lot of explicit descriptions as to why God accepted Cain's off- or Abel's offering and why he rejected Abel. But there are some pretty probable inferences so, so when I give these reasons to you, I hope you know that I, what I'm saying about these, you know, what's clear in the Bible, I'll just be like, here's what it says. But other than that, I'm going to say this is what's most biblically likely. This is the most biblically probable reason. And if you disagree, what that means is you get to study your Bible more and disagree with me. So go do that, okay? But again, I do think that the first thing that, that is being highlighted here about Abel's worship versus Cain's worship in the system of faith, it's very likely that this is speaking to the, 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 the type of offering that Abel brought. It's not explicit. It's possibly not, but it probably is. Okay? Um, I could be wrong. I don't think I am. Okay? But I could be. All right? Just straight up. All right? Now, notice Cain. He brings what kind of an offering? What system? He brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, we know in the Levitical system, for those that couldn't afford livestock, that a fruit or grain offering was acceptable to God. Now, I haven't read anywhere. There's nothing. Now, it could be that God's like, bring whatever you got from your work. It could be. I'm under the impression that there's nothing communicated in Scripture yet about um, a grain offering in the narrative here. All we have to go off uh, in regards to what offering to bring the Lord is the previous verses. In chapter 3, where Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. So this is uh, post-fall of man. Uh, Shame and nakedness is apparent and present. And as a picture of the gospel, God, um, he sheds blood through an animal to cover over their shame. It's a picture of Christ, the Lamb of God who would be slain for before the foundations of the world to take away the sins of the world. Uh, and, and so there's a sacrificial system right from the very beginning where God prescribes a way to be right with him. Now notice this. They weren't covered. They tried to cover themselves. Remember that? They tried to do it on their own. It's what we do, by the way, with our sin too. We try to cover up. We try to hide it because of shame. We try to cover it up with church attendance. We, we try to cover it up with our works. And, you know, it's fig leaves is, is what they ended up doing. They sowed fig leaves to cover over their sin. And, you know, go figure. That's what we do today too, right? We, we, find, we find fig leaves, and it's uncomfortable, and it's not what God designed. So, so God says, no, I'm not going to allow you to cover your sin because you can't. The only way for your sin to be covered over is if I cover over it through the shedding of blood. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It's a picture of the gospel early on. And so the Lord makes tunics of skin and clothes them. Now, that's all we have. The next verses, like... So an animal is sacrificed. The next verses that we get into here, in the process of time, they bring an offering to the Lord. And notice that Abel brings a blood offering. Up to this point, this is God's prescribed method of atonement and forgiveness. What does Abel, or what does Cain bring? Think about this closely. Cain brings what he's produced from tilling the ground. God, here's what I've produced. So this, this is literally a, uh, Cain's offering. God, here's the result of my hard work. 
Will you accept it? And God goes, no, you're doing what your parents tried to do when they tried to cover themselves with their own, by their own means. And notice the opposite of this system. You have Abel coming, and he's bringing a blood sacrifice. He's, he's coming, listen, Hebrew says, by faith. He's declared righteous by coming by faith through God's prescribed, prescribed means, means of atonement through this animal sacrifice. So you have two different systems. So, so this could be, maybe you go, that's, I don't agree with a single ounce of what you just said. Okay, read the Bible and tell me why I'm wrong. Um, but it's likely, it's likely, it's possible, probable, that one of the reasons why God rejected um, Cain's offering, accepted Abel's, is because one was the basis of works, the other is the basis of faith. And I just want, whether or not that's true, here's what is true in Scripture. The Bible teaches, regardless of any of those things, the Bible teaches in the book of Galatians that nobody is justified by their works. Nobody can be justified before God by the good things that they do. That, there, that if your basis of worship and relationship to God is you, like if you come into the house of God on Sunday mornings and you only worship um, as holy as you've been that week, if your worship to God, if your life for God is contingent upon you and your performance, that, that is not a worship that God accepts. What does he accept? He accepts a, a worship that says, God, I, I can't, what is there to boast in for me? Paul says, the only thing I have to boast in is my weaknesses because they show my need for Jesus and my Savior. So such an important point here, the system of their worship. So I, I believe that's the first reason. Here's another reason why God accepted Cain's or accepted Abel's and then rejected Cain's. Why was Abel's a more excellent offering? I would say another probable reason is the selection of worship. If if it doesn't have anything to do with the, the nature of what they brought before God, if it has nothing to do with a blood offering, let's say that's irrelevant, that, that it was okay for Cain to bring what he brought to the Lord as a grain offering, it could be then that the reason why God rejected it and, and maybe another reason why he doesn't accept all worship is because of the selection of what they brought. Notice again, it tells us that that when Abel brings his offering, he brings, it tells us, the firstborn. You see that? The, the first one, the firstborn of his flock and their fat. So he brings the firstborn and the, and the most valuable selected piece. He selects the most valuable of the offering. He's bringing, the, the way to say this is that Abel is bringing his, his very best, the best of the best to the Lord. Cain, it says, brought an offering of the fruit. Just brought, like, here's, here's some fruit, God. You know, it's possible that what this is saying is that uh, Cain, after he harvested all of his, his, um, his harvest, <laughs> he harvested the harvest, w when he brought it into the storehouse, he made sure he had enough for himself. This is not faith, by the way. This is, this is the opposite of faith. This is living by the flesh, making sure I have what I need, greediness, and then it's like, oh, I got to worship God. It's like, where's the moldy, you know, strawberries, you know, okay, or whatever it may be. And he kind of takes an offering and he brings, now you can see just in this example, that's pretty, it's pretty explicit that, that Cain's offering to the Lord, his worship is half-hearted. It's not by faith. Abel's is by faith. God, I'm trusting you with the first fruits. I'm trusting you with the firstborn. I, I am, and when the scripture, by the way, the scripture's, uh, 
call us to this in Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. This is how we worship the Lord. And, and whenever you offer the first of something to the Lord, whether it's the first part of your day, whether it's the first part of your income, whatever it may be, whenever you bring to the Lord your first, what you're acknowledging is, God, the whole thing belongs to you. You know, like this idea like, oh, God wants 10%. 10% belongs to him. It's like, no, no. That's, the tithe isn't about how 10% belongs to God. The rest belongs to you and me. The, the display of, a, of the first of, the, of, of what God has given me says this. God, it all belongs to you, and I'm showing it by this. I'm offering this. And, and what I'm doing when I'm doing that, and this is so important. You know, we've always taught this like as a church when it comes to tithes and offerings in our church. We, we've harped hard on 2 Corinthians, which says that, that we're, God does not desire giving and worship that's out of reluctance. Like, oh my gosh, can we get that AC on or something? Jeez, you know. Like, oh, I got to give, you know. It's a, you know, I've been coming this long. And it's like, no, no, like, like we, we don't want that type of worship in this house, and, and God doesn't want that kind of worship. That sort of half heart, no, no. The, the Bible says this, that God loves a cheerful giver. That God loves the heart that says, Lord, it's all yours. And this is faith to say it belongs to you. And, and, you know, I know sometimes those verses can be used by, by people in power to twist the arms of people in the church to get them what they want. And so we hope that you never feel that way here. But we are going to call you and challenge you as a Christian to worship God. And, and worshiping God involves a whole life holistic discipline from our time to our possessions to our resources um, all around. And so what a contrast, though, between Cain and Abel. Abel is bringing the Lord the first of his possessions, and Cain is just bringing an offering from the ground. Um, you know, Jesus uh, says it this way in Malachi 6.33. He says, seek first, I love this, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, there's two ways to live, especially as a Christian. You can spend your whole life on getting what you think you need and then seeking God last at the end of it. Or you can be recklessly abandoned to a relationship with God, seeking him first, surrendering it all to him, and trusting that he, at the end of the day, he's your provider, not you. That he's the one that feeds the sparrows. He's the one that clothes the lilies. He's the reason why you and I have anything. It's all because of grace. And when grace is, is something that so encounters your life, that, that generosity of God, it produces an external generosity before the Lord. You know, I, I love thinking about generosity as, the, as what the gospel should produce in us because there's a lot of false gospels, especially in terms of like giving out there today. You have like two extremes. You have the prosperity gospel over here, which is like the reason why you're not blessed is because I don't have a new airliner, Okay. If I had my airliner, you would be more blessed. You know, it's like, and it's kind of that like really sick and twisted. You have to sow your seed and you're not being blessed because you're not, get, and, and it's just, it's evil. The prosperity gospel, as if Jesus died for, for, for merely physical reasons. Um, Jesus said, a servant's not greater than his master. And, and then there's the other extreme, which is like an overreaction against the prosperity gospel. And it's the poverty gospel which is like, 
It's not sanctification through stuff. It's the opposite. You're, you're only as holy as you're poor. The poverty gospel. You're not holy because you're not rich is one extreme. You need more faith. The other extreme, you need more trials. Your life is too good. Why are you blessed? That's not Christian. That's the idea. And like a, a nice in-between is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says that Jesus, who is rich, became poor for our sakes, so that we who are poor could become rich in him, which looks like a generous life that says, all that I have is from God. And he's been so generous to me. We want to be generous to you. You know, we did this outreach at FAU a couple weeks ago where we wanted to, the heart of it was like to go and just give stuff away to the FAU kids, to give out a bunch of cold brew. And, you know, there's a testimony in just doing that. Like, we, we are people. Why are you guys here? Why are you, is there a bait and switch? Do I have to pray a prayer to get the, you know, to get the coffee? Do I have to check a box that I received Jesus to get the coffee? You know, like, it can be like this bait. And it's like, no, you know why we're here? Because Jesus has been crazy generous to us as sinners. He's been so generous with his love over our lives. He's been so generous with everything we have. And so as a church, we, we want to model that. We want to be generous to our city. See, that's a heart that's been changed by his generosity. And so what a contrast. There's worship that's reluctant and stingy and doesn't trust God. And then there's that first fruits. Now, this kind of plays into another reason between Cain and Abel. And it's the spirit of worship. Uh, this is something that we cannot see in the text. And maybe it's the reason why it's not included is because it's something that only God can see in their worship. Another reason why God may have rejected Cain's worship over against Abel's and accepted Abel's, maybe it has nothing to do with what they brought. Maybe what they brought was irrelevant. Maybe even, you know, the selection of what they brought, being the first or some leftover, you know, of the rest, doesn't matter either. It could be, this is another biblical theme in worship, it could be the thing that God was grieved in with Cain's worship was his heart. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Like, God knows the truth of our worship when no one's looking. God knows where we're really at, if we really mean it. If there's a spirit of worship there. You know, Jesus uh, talks about this in John chapter 4 when he's in a dialogue with this Samaritan woman, and, and she brings up the topic of worship. And it's about Jews and Samaritans and kind of like, this is where the Jews worship, this is where the Samaritans worship. And as she's talking to Jesus about worship, the emphasis in her mind about worship is, is external. It's external things. It's places, it's an environment, it's a location, it's a mood, it's a, it's a hand motion, it's a macarena, whatever your worship style is, okay? And it, but it's very, um, it's worship according to the eyes of man. It's worship according to what, what, what man can see. And then Jesus flips it around on her and says, no, 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 that's not, that's not worship. Worship isn't less than that. Like, worship can include those things, but worship is so much more than that. So, so Jesus says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. For worship to be worship, it has to be real. It's got to be, where, where God, there has to be a spirit of worship, not just a, a external structure of worship. Um, you know, I, sh I pray that with the big worship movement that's happening right now, that there's a spirit of worship. It's crazy how, like, how marketable modern worship is. Have you noticed this? 
how, how, how like commercial worship can be with all the bands and all the music and all the moods and all the stuff. And, and listen, I love how the Lord uses that. I listen to all of it. It changes my life. What I'm afraid of is that we so commercialize worship that it becomes an external practice and not something sincere that's actually about God and his glory. And before we look outside, let's think about ourselves when we come into here and we sing each week and we make worship to be a certain way. We want worship to sound a certain way. We want worship to, 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 to be encountered a certain way. But the question is, when we come into the house of God, what does God see in our hearts? Who are we really before him? Are we able? Are we, are we like Lord? And I mean able as an A-B-E-L, right? Are we able in our hearts before him saying, God, here's my sincere worship in response to who you are? Or are we more like Cain? Are we more like, listen, Israel in history? I mean, Cain is like a, an archetype of all the, the sad things about what Israel would become. Cain typifies the nature of, of Israel's worship throughout history. Uh, they had there's constant and, and, and regular examples of God calling Israel out of half-hearted, fake, external religious duty back into knowledge, back into relationship with God. You ever been there? You ever been like a Christian robot? Do you know what I'm saying? Here I am at church. It's my Sunday tradition. Brunch after. Stand up. Sit down. Praise the Lord. You know, it's like, we can, I can be like that. I fall into that all the time. And it's no longer worship, is it? And so there's, there's a couple of these moments. I like Hosea 6.6 6, where God says to Israel, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Like, hey, it's great. You're doing the thing I asked you to do. You know, Cain, you're bringing me an offering. That's, that's so great. But listen, unless what's on the inside matches what you're doing on the outside, unless there's truth in that, it's not real worship. It's just a performance. And that, that's what Jesus calls for. You know, there's another moment in Psalm 51 where David says this. He says, the sacrifices of God, the way that we worship God, is not just in the fact that we raise our hands and we sing loud, but it's a broken, here's the word there, spirit, the spirit of worship. A broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. You know, a true worshiper is someone that has encountered Jesus, that has become face-to-face -face with their own shortcomings, their own errors, their own failures, yet in that they've come face to face with the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus. And they're just broken. They're just like, I know who I'm not because I know who you are. That's worship. You know, I, I've been privileged to travel overseas and, and meet the church and fellowship and worship with the church all, all over the world. And I've been in environments in the American church where every metric of external worship is met, but there lacks that spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit and genuine worship. I've been in environments outdoors, outdoors, whether it was Morocco or Latin America, where you don't have the first world blessings of the, of the environment and the mood you just have people who really believe God is who he says he is and that have really been changed by the gospel. That's when people start to worship. Like, if you need a certain kind of environment to worship, it could be that your worship is not about God. It could be that your worship is about you. 
if you need a certain perfect song to really engage, I just could, you know, I just can't, got to engage. Worship is about the glory of God. Whether you have to use a kazoo or a song that's been played eight times to get there. You know, I like Britt Merrick. He says it best. He says, theology is the best worship leader. The best worship leader is a, is a true knowledge of who God is. And so perhaps Abel um, had more of that spirit of worship than Cain. We'll close with this last one. We'll bring the band up to, to wrap us out. And lastly, it's the, we'll close with worship too. How about that? All right. Last one, it's the substance of worship. And, and so, so first you have, this, you have this system where Cain is, is in a system of works and Abel is in a system of faith. And you have this this selection where Cain seems to bring just kind of what's ever left over, where Abel is bringing his best to the Lord because God's worthy of the first and the best. And then you have this worship that's something that God sees where it's possible that all that Cain is doing on the outside is reflecting that his heart isn't really sincere in worship, whereas Abel's is true. And then lastly, we'll say the substance of worship. Hebrews 11.4 says that by faith Abel worshiped. Um, remember last week we saw that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I just love that idea. I, I love the idea that, especially when you tie it to faith and worship, that, that worship is, a is meant to be a substantial offering. A substantial offering of faith. Um, and part of, again, this kind of goes back to the, uh, the robotic tendency. But I was thinking about this scripture. It's in verse 6. It says this, that without faith, that's substance to our worship, it's impossible to please God. Now, it tells us how to come to God in worship. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, you know what this gives us? This gives us a mental checklist to go through before we come into the presence of God. When there's a tendency to just kind of come before God conscious of my life, conscious of my duties, conscious of my problems, and then I, I, I step into worship with that same heart, and I just kind of, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, like, I'm talking about our lives. You know, the Bible says that we're called to present our whole lives as worship to God, a living sacrifice. And I found, man, anytime my, my worship in life is lacking substance and faith, like Cain's was, I'm definitely not conscious of these two things. So if, if we're going to say, God, I want to worship you. If we're going to say, God, we want to be like Abel. You know, by faith, we don't want to be like Cain and be those that you were, whose worship is just half-hearted and nothing and religious and empty. God, if we don't want to be like Israel in history that forgot your heart, if we want to be those who worship you in spirit and truth with substance and faith, we got to stop for a second and go, okay, if I'm coming to God, the first thing I'm doing in my mind is I'm believing that he is. Um, some commentators have called this the actuality of God. I love that. Where in your life right now are you lacking worship because you've lost sight of the actuality of God? That he actually is. You know, we come before God in worship and we got to start by going, you're here, Lord. You are who you are. 
just that can change everything. You go, God, you're here. Tomorrow when I wake up, I can say, God, you're here. Watch what that does for worship. God, you're, you're here. You're with me. As you declared your name to Moses, as you've revealed who you are to me, I stop. And I, don't get, I don't get stuck in the motions. I can't tell you how many times i got to do this. God, you are who you say you are. That's the first step to sincere, substantial worship with our whole lives. Have you lost sight of the actuality of God? What, have you, what are you walking through right now, that scenario, that, that trial? What, what's, what's that stuff that you've been walking through that you've just deleted God from? You've just subtracted him from the equation. He is. He told Moses, I am that I am. And, and notice this next promise, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That will provoke worship, won't it? That will provoke substantial, sincere worship of God. If I not only believe that he is, but who he is is good to his very core. And he has my good in mind, despite what I'm going through. Even if I don't agree with how things are panning out, I know he's good. That as I come to him, he's there to bless me with his presence. He's there to reward me. You know, there's a new substance to our faith. There's a new substance even to our worship when we're not just these kind of robotic religious people. But we step back for a second. We think about what we get to be a part of. And, you know, Abel, again, is a great example of that. Abel is this example of the kind of worship that God expects and that God accepts. Um, and so wherever, you know, whatever, whatever point of this applies to you today, I just want you to take a minute to process it to not zip out to, to brunch or wherever without first thinking about your worship. Could it be said about you that by faith, fill your name in the blank, you worship? Are you a worshiper of God? Is there a system that you've got to move out of and a, and a faith system you have to move into, getting away from that works-based connection to God and coming back to the cross of Jesus? Is there a half-heartedness that you've been bringing to your relationship with God? Where he's not worthy of the first part of your day or the first part of your anything. You kind of give him your leftovers. Maybe you've got to come back to the heart of worship and, what you're, and how you're prioritizing him. Maybe it's, again, the spirit of worship. Where you're, you're so consumed with external Christian things, but you need God to bring you back to that place of brokenness before him. And, and then lastly, that substance where you say, Lord, I don't want to come to you with this empty offering. I want to come to you knowing who you are and what you do. There, there's something about worship that will change in our lives.